yeah, 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 I know, I know. Schedule got off a little bit this week, and I'm sorry. But, hey, come on. It's the off season. Huh? What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Marty Tom Brews, where I'm your host, John Delray. Yeah, today, you know, I spent the last couple of videos going over my record prediction. How are the Packers going to do this year against the schedule that they face? But I did so more so from the angle of who are they going against? For instance, what free agents did the Bears sign with that uh, with that whole lot of cap room that they had? Or what did the Steelers do as they advanced their transition from Big Ben to Kenny Pickett? And so I really covered it from the other team side of things since I talk so much about Packers anyway. But I did realize as I was doing that that there were some assumptions about the Packers that I was making. And I kind of wanted to go through today and explain all of those assumptions. Because, for instance, if you just assume that Jordan Love is going to be the next Patrick Mahomes, well, then 9-8, and eight, like my prediction was, feels a little light. Or if you assume that he's the next coming of Akili Smith, then 9-8 and eight might feel a little, a little overly optimistic. So I wanted to go through what those assumptions are. And I guess I would just say that as I go through the other announcements, ponder, if you will, the fact that Packers were one game away from the playoffs last year, eight and nine. I'm saying this year they're going to be nine and eight. Flip the script a little bit this year, actually make it as a wild card team. And in order to do that, do they have to get markedly better or do they just need a little bit more luck to go on their side? Or realistically, could they just maintain status quo of what they were last year and still find their way into the playoffs? So like I said, a couple of announcements. One, sorry that this episode's going out late. Had a number of things come up yesterday. Had My voice went funky again, so just needed a day. But back today, and I will be here tomorrow as well. A second, a really cool, exciting announcement for you on August 17th. The second of the joint practice days of training camp. I already talked about how I'm going to be at every single public training camp practice to do shows either from Green Bay or shortly after practice or whatever. You're going to hear from me every day that there's a public training camp practice. Well, another group, another podcast and I decided to get together. And on August 17th, we're going to be doing a joint live show. We're hoping it's going to be right from Green Bay. But yes, Lombardi Time Brews, myself... And Wisco Fanatics are going to be getting together for a joint show on August 17th. If you're unfamiliar with Wisco Fanatics, go check them out. Tyler, Jake, they're great guys. I've really enjoyed meeting with them and planning for this. So it should be a really, really cool show. I'm going to be talking about that a lot more as we get closer to the date. Now let's dive into these assumptions, shall we? Can the Green Bay Packers go 9-8 and eight, like I'm calling them for to do and and realistically if they're going to do that what do they need to have happen on their side of the ball number one that the offense maintains a level of status quo and not a massive drop-off going from aaron Rodgers to jordan love and with the exodus of several other veterans Last year, the Packers finished 17th in total yards at 337.9 yards per game, 17th last year in passing yards per game at 213.6, 18th in the league in pass rate, 15th in the league last year in rushing yards per game with 124.3, 
14th last year in points per game with 21.8, and if you're a DVOA follower, they were finished 11th in offensive DVOA. When you look at those just true, like, raw total stats, the cumulative side of things, they were wonderfully average. Sure, some above average just by a touch, some below average just by a touch, but round it all together and you had what is basically a wonderfully average offense finishing at 14th in points per game. So let's dig a little bit deeper. Aaron Rodgers, specifically a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Now these numbers are not subtracting for sacks. These are just his totals. 217 yards per game passing, 1.52 touchdowns per game passing, 0.7 interceptions per game, and an ESPN QBR of 39.3, otherwise known as 26th in the NFL last year. Are those numbers attainable for Jordan Love in his first year. I mean, potentially. Although I wouldn't necessarily want to bank on a first-year quarterback replicating even a down season for Aaron Rodgers. Were his numbers spectacular last year? No. By his, no. It was, it was a meteoric disaster, actually, by his standards. But even across the league, did he have a great year last year? No. You know, I already listed the ESPN QBR, but according to several other metrics, he was a below-average quarterback last year. And you can say it's, well, it's because he was surrounded by below-average talent or whatever whatever you want to say, but still look at the numbers for Aaron Rodgers. They were below-average even for the typical average quarterback threshold in several different ways. So could Jordan Love achieve that? Sure. I believe he could. But even, let's say he can't. Let's say he's a notch below that. Could the totality of the offense still wind up finishing 15th in rushing, 17th in passing, 18th in pass rate, 14th in points? Figure in, even if Jordan Love isn't Aaron Rodgers, if they run the ball a little bit more at the same rate of success that they were able to last year, a little bit healthier of an offensive line, you don't have David Bakhtiari missing the six games that he did last year because of knee or appendicitis. Elton Jenkins now back in full from his ACL injury as well. So assume health along the offensive line, running the ball at the same success rate, and I think you have the makings of the offense being at least what it was last year. So I believe they can, and if they do, they stand a good chance to at least put themselves in the playoff position much like last year. Number two, speaking of Jordan Love himself, and this isn't some grand like statistical projection where he's going to have 3,400 yards or 4,200 yards or like whatever. No, this is just I'm assuming that Jordan Love is going to cost the Packers a couple games next year. I think he's also probably going to win them a couple games next year. Thus is life with a young quarterback. There are going to be individual plays that make us sit back and go, oh, Oh, he that kind of quarterback. Well, there's also going to be certain types of plays that make us go, Jordan, what are you doing, bro? It's going to happen. But what you hope for is that the vast majority of his play falls in line somewhere around that line of competent. Just go out there. Don't cost us too many. Don't win us too many either. Just be competent. Have your play be fine. Average. And I think Jordan Love, at this stage, from what we've seen from him so far, from what we're hearing from OTAs, from what we're hearing from the team, it certainly seems possible that his level of play could at least be at that line of fine. 
You know, even if there's more boneheaded and less spectacular than you saw with Rodgers, if he can keep the offense moving, that's still an upgrade over last year. Expect the highs, expect the lows. They're both going to happen. Number three, assumption number three, I assume that there are going to be new voices in the locker room. And those voices will have an emphasis on growth and togetherness as opposed to perfection and precision. Perfection works for certain scenarios, but we all know from our lives that perfection and the pursuit of which is not necessarily attainable nor appropriate for every single scenario. And I think this year we're going to start hearing more from Rashawn Gary, Jay Alexander, Christian Watson, Kenny Clark even more so than he has in recent years. And just hearing those names, right? Jair, Gary, Watson. Don't the images of those guys or the hearing the voices in your head, doesn't that already feel different than when you would hear Randall Cobb, Mercedes Lewis, or QB12 talk? Perhaps no better example than last year in the midpoint when Jerry Alexander, uh, following the loss to the Giants, was talking about, hey, if we lose to the Jets next week, then we're going to be worried. And Aaron Rodgers sat back and said, publicly, yeah, I don't really know why he's doing that. you got to be careful with what you say. you got to be careful with what you manifest in yourselves. And I do believe in the power of thought and all that, but maybe Rodgers didn't go about that the best way, considering that he was basically calling out the team's best defensive player. And I do think, too, to pair along with what I just said about Rodgers, the era of someone being so esteemed that they can call out the underlings across the roster publicly, I think those days are probably done, too. I don't think we're going to see this individual name dropping or position dropping or whatever that we've gotten used to over the last couple of years. In the very least, the mood around the team right now seems to indicate that the conversations with the media and what's out there is going to be different than what we saw, especially last year. And that, I think, bodes well for the team. Assumption number four. I expect Matt LaFleur's offense to be open. Look, we know for a fact that when Matt LaFleur was first hired on, he and Rodgers built together this like hybrid offense. Some plays that Rodgers still liked from the McCarthy era found themselves in LaFleur's philosophy. And that's what LaFleur was talking about in that press conference a couple weeks ago when he was asked about, like, hey, is the offense going to be more yours now? And he goes, it's always ours. It's always a collaboration. And I believe that that's what LaFleur was talking about. He also knew what other people were alluding to, but he didn't want to get into that. But at the end of the day, that's what he was talking about. The collaboration between coach and quarterback, play caller, QB coach, etc. A fusion of what Rodgers liked and MLF's overall philosophy is what we have seen to various levels over the last years. The thing is, that's all well and good, but if you're looking at ratios, you probably wanted it about here, and that's probably what it was, like LeFleur's first year, and then it got to be like this one year, and like this one year, and it always ebbed and flowed. And if you ask them, they're going to talk about, well, it was per matchup, it was per who we had on our team, Rodgers didn't run, a, run motion last year with these young wide receivers, LeFleur still wanted to, because it's part of his uh, illusions that he wants to run. So, look... Now you're putting in a young quarterback who's only exposed to one pro style. 
Sure, he's probably got some favorite plays that he's got from college or even from Rogers plays or the McCarthy era stuff over the last couple of years that he's picked up, right? But really, he knows the MLF philosophy, and that's what he's been trained in for his pro-level career to this point. Not only that, but he doesn't have the clout. Sure, it'll still be a collaborative effort, but let's not pretend that Jordan Love sitting in the game planning room is the same thing as Rogers going... I don't like that play. I don't think Christian Watson can run it. I don't think Robio Dobbs knows the motion pattern. Let's throw it out. I don't think it's going to be quite like that this time around. And so I think what we're going to see is less of a reliance on individuals, more of an emphasis on a scheme that tries to get guys open, especially given the athleticism that the Packers wide receivers have now that they didn't necessarily have in the era of Lazard and Cobb. That's no knock on them. They're just different types of wide receivers. They had to win their matchups in different ways. Well, now with the speed and athleticism, Matt LaFleur can more utilize his scheme to get guys open. And you would think that it would have worked with the other guys, but that's not the way they did things. I think we're also going to see a return to throwing to the middle of the field. We're already hearing from OTAs that Jordan Love is purposefully targeting the middle of the field. Look across several of the most successful offenses in the NFL over the last three years. The Rams in their Super Bowl year, the Chiefs nearly every year, the 49ers. These teams focus on the middle of the field because that is where there is room to catch the ball and run. The Packers haven't enjoyed doing that. It's not part of what Aaron Rodgers likes to do at this stage in his career. Jordan Love, thus far, we believe, from what we've heard, is making an emphasis in OTAs. So I expect that this motion, throwing over the middle, the illusion of complexity, all of that, is going to find its way into the playbook more and more. And again, if it works, that bodes very, very well for the Packers. If it doesn't work, congratulations, you're probably at somewhere along the lines of status quo. Assumption number five, we're looking at replacement level youth. Wyatt for Lowry, Slayton for Reed. The collection that is the wide receivers right now, replacing the production of Lazard and Cobb. Same with tight end, replacing Robert Tunyon and Mercedes Lewis. Basically, let's take a look at the wide receiver position specifically, right? Lazard last year is the de facto wide receiver one, had 60 receptions for 788 yards. Randall Cobb in his injury-marred season had a grand total of 34 receptions for 417 yards, otherwise known as the Packers need to replace this year 94 receptions for 1,205 yards. And how are they going to do that? Well, here's what you have available to you. Three more games from Christian Watson, four more games from Romeo Dobbs, six more games from Samari Toure, and a full season of Jaden Reed. If those four collectively, with their increased amount of playing time, can replicate the 94 catches and 1,205 yards left behind by Cobb and Lazard, congratulations, your offense has lost nothing. Taking a closer look at the tight end position, Robert Tunyon last year had 53 receptions for 470 yards. Mercedes Lewis, now obviously you're talking way more about blocking here than anything, right? But still looking at just the raw receiving numbers, six catches for 66 yards. A grand total of 59 receptions for 536 yards. And that's going to need be replaced by Josiah DeGuara, who I assume is going to see a mass uptick in playing time, especially in the earlier portion of the year. If you go back and look at his staff counts, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Josiah DeGuara is actually going to triple his playing time this year. Thus, in turn, logically, you would think that that would then mean tripling production, potentially. But we don't even need to go that far. 
So let's say you're going to triple Deguara's snap count, right? You also have a full season of Luke Musgrave and a full season of Tyler Kraft. Now, if you triple Deguara's playing time, logically then tripling his production, I know it doesn't work exactly like that, but just for the, the thought process here, triple his stats and you already get 63% of the yard replacement that needs to occur, 66% of the reception replacement that needs to occur. Now, can Kraft and Musgrave, even as they're rookies running around having no idea what they're doing at the second most complicated position to learn as a rookie, can they come up with 33% of Tunyon and Lewis? Yeah, probably. What you're really missing, though, to be honest here, is the ability of blocking for Mercedes Lewis. That I don't think these young Packers can replicate, and that will need to be found a way around, but still... If the youth on this team, including on the defensive line, Wyatt for Lowry, Slayton for Reed, etc., etc., if the youth can at least perform at the replacement level of the guys they are replacing, which I think they're in track to, considering that Wyatt graded out better than Lowry, Slayton better than Reed, I think it's entirely possible that, again, you're at the very least maintaining status quo. Assumption number six. If Anders Carlson truly doesn't work out, then they eventually stash him and sign a veteran to at least be a replacement level or average kicker. We've heard all of the possibility or the positivity around Anders Carlson so far. The MLF giving him a shout out in a press conference talking about his big leg. Carlson went 11 for 12 on field goal attempts at minicamp, with six of them being outdoors, six of them being indoors. But he's still a rookie kicker coming off of two injury marred season from the University of Auburn with a lot of inconsistency in those last two years, and you really got to go back to 2020 to see the last year that he was super consistent as a kicker. So, let's just say, if he's the genuine article right now, what we're seeing in OTAs, great, you have at least a replacement-level kicker. But let's say that he's not. Let's say that those last two years of college were much more his actual tale. Then, I'm going to assume that the Packers will do something with him, so that they can at least have a replacement-level kicker this year, much like Mason Crosby actually was last year. And then that way, your kicking game's the same, maintain status quo, get yourself to a dining record, get yourself to the playoffs. Assumption number seven. The secondary gels better than it did last year. We've heard the rumors about Joe Barry and Jerry Gray and just duking it out behind the scenes, right? We've heard all of those rumors. Now, what we don't know is just how much those philosophical disagreements, those the angst between the two adult men, found its way into the field. What we do know is that, for some reason, the secondary took a massive step back in spite of having basically the same personnel than it did the year prior. So, what we can say that's pretty irrefutable is the secondary last year had far more miscommunications, far more incorrect reads, and just overall played poorly compared to the few years prior. So I would think it's logical that if the problems were stemming from the disagreements between Joe Barry and Jerry Gray, that getting rid of one of the two will help, unless, of course, it's all Joe Barry's fault, which I know some of you believe, and I don't entirely blame you. But you would think then that part of the issues will be resolved. Let's just take a quick look at the personnel for safety especially. Rudy Ford last year came in, wound up playing safety, had the year of his life, was the third highest rated defender in the entire Packers defense last year. 
Darnell Savage had kind of his typical year, made a few good plays, but then it was followed up by a bunch of plays that had inappropriate reads or, you know, doing coverages wrong. And they're hoping that Savage, a lot of his issues, will be resolved, one, by a mentality change, but two, by having him play more of a robber role up closer to the line, where at different points in his career he's actually had, I'd say, overall higher levels of success. So that may help as well. Then you also had Adrian Amos, who had by far the worst year of his Packers tenure last year. And you're hoping to replace him by the combination of Tarvarius Moore and Jonathan Owens. Owens alone should be a tackling upgrade, but doesn't have quite the coverage prowess of the others. Tarvarius Moore, in my opinion, is a little bit of a mystery, considering that he missed off 21 with the torn Achilles, and then 2022 was more of a special teams player. Again, another player that you kind of got to go back to 2020 to see full-on when he got playing time as safety. But he's another guy who's been getting shout-outs at OTAs. So what you have to hope for here is, again, let's say the secondary is bad again. Congratulations, you're at status quo. But let's say that they improve their communication just one notch. Let's say that some of those blown coverages suddenly aren't so blown. That's the difference for a one-game flip in the record. And the last one, assumption number eight, the final assumption, health. Right? Kind of an easy one, right? If you're going to do record predictions, you're assuming the team is going to be healthy. Ask any Jets person right now if they're assuming, like, the, the schedule with Aaron Rodgers. Are they assuming Aaron Rodgers is going to play? Or any Chiefs correspondent who's talking about what the Chiefs record is going to be this year. They're probably assuming Patrick Mahomes is going to play. So let's just make that assumption. I assume, based upon what we've heard so far, that Eric Stokes is actually going to go on the pup. Yeah, in some ways, it sounds like he's accelerating progress quicker than they thought they would, but he's still not doing a ton yet. I think he's destined for the pup. Rashawn Gary, I don't think, shares that destiny. From everything we've heard about Rashawn Gary thus far, he's cruising right along. And I don't know as if he's going to be totally ready for week one, but I don't think it's going to be an extended absence either. Beyond that, though, this is a pretty healthy team. And some of the larger injury question marks, like of Randall Cobb, is no longer on the team and is being replaced by a guy like Jaden Reed, who has a pr pretty clean health record overall. So let's assume health. And one last note too, David Bakhtiari. Let's assume he doesn't have, considering it got taken out, he doesn't have an appendix explode again this year. That would be great for the team and for him personally. But let's assume health. If these assumptions come true, this is at least a 9-8 and eight football team. And they'll find themselves in the playoffs this year, correcting the wrong that occurred last year. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I will be back on Friday. On Friday, which is tomorrow. Oh, man, I'm all out of whack. Tomorrow I'll be back, and tomorrow I'm going to be reviewing players who are entering their final years of the contract, whether they might get an extension, what that extension could look like, etc., etc. So tune in tomorrow, find out about some of the guys that are their seats warm, are they lame ducks, or are they Packers forever? We'll find out soon enough. Thanks so much for joining me on Lombardi Time Brews. Hope you're having a great Thursday. And as always, go Pack Go.